The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today is an international television host, a producer, a best-selling author, a very sought-after public speaker from The Oprah Winfrey Show to The Marilyn Dennis Show. And we'll get into all the shows that she's hosted herself, including her new podcast. I'm so excited to welcome one of my new clients to the podcast today, Debbie Travis. Hello, hello, hello. So I'm producing her new podcast. Trust me, I'm a decorator. This is a very new thing for you to be in the podcast world. How are you finding it so far? Um, it, it, I love it, actually, because uh, you can do it in your pajamas and stuff. And, and uh, it, But it's a whole other language, you know. So, you know, when you've got a television language, or I guess if you're in the theater, you know, so you've got to... Learn all those words again. Um, and of course, it's quite technical. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Once we actually do the podcast, I love it. I really love just chatting away. I've always liked that. I've, I've loved public speaking and inspire people and, and, and help people kind of follow their own dreams, really. You're quite the dreamer yourself. I mean, I've only learned so much uh, working with you for what? It's maybe been a month and a half now. But your story's super inspiring for women, especially. You know, I think you've taken a lot of risks in your life. Many leaps of faith is probably the right way to put it, both personal and professional. I know you talked about this a little bit on your podcast, but let's go back to the beginning and you deciding that you need to be a public figure. When did you know you wanted to do something with television and speak to audiences? Well, that, that all came about, I think, by accident, basically... Blame it on sex. Um, I um, did I say that out loud? God, um, I left home very young. I, I come from a, a large family, and I was the eldest and completely ignored. And um, so, at kind of sixteen and a half, seventeen, um, I got on a train. I came to London from the north of England, and that was, I think, the best thing I ever did because you're on your own. You have to make it happen. You have no money. I look back and I think, God, how did I have the guts to do that? Um, and so I, I started modeling because it was the easiest thing to do um, without any brains. And uh, well, of course, you did end up needing brains. Oh, but, I, but when I was 18, I was sent to Japan and it was the big trend of what they call gaijins, which were non-Japanese girls. And I don't think I'd even been to Europe. I mean, <laughs> I'd been nowhere and I got on a plane to Tokyo. And I was there for over a year and made a lot of money and brought it back and bought my first flat. And really started what they used to send. I don't know what they do now, but they would send a girl. Your agency would send you to Amsterdam for two months. They'd send you to Germany for two months or for Milan. And I started doing a lot of television commercials for kind of really kind of old lady dresses and stuff, not particularly exotic. <laughs> um, and one day I was doing a commercial, having makeup done. And you pretty much the bottom of the, you know, it's like 10 girls, racks of clothes and everything. Anyway, there was this really old woman. She was about 25 and she had this massive red hair and she was rushing around and she had this clipboard. I remember it was yellow. She had a yellow clipboard and she's going, you over here, you here. I said to the makeup artist, oh my God what does that woman do? What is her job? And he said, she's a producer. Oh, I said, I want to be a producer. How do you be a producer? And he said, well, you have to be very bossy. I said, oh, I can do that. And, and, and he said, well, <laughs> you know, if you want to work in television, you have to kind of hang around the pubs in London where the television people hang around. And I did. And I ended up getting an internship years later. I was about 22 at a, a studio. And then eventually I ended up at the BBC freelance. I just loved 
everything about it, everything. I tingle walking into White City, which is the famous BBC studios. I mean, I just, it wasn't about being famous or anything like that, because I was obviously sweeping the floors. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I absolutely loved it. And bit by bit, I kind of got better and better. And then I somehow, I'd, I'd started a little production company, of course, never made any money. But I ended up, getting our financer to send me to Cannes to the film festival. Mm. So I took three other people and on the first night there, which was actually the CBC party, I'd never really heard of Canada. I had never heard of the CBC. All I wanted to do was go to some of the best parties and your tax dollars <laughs> were paying for fabulous parties. Anyway, the first <laughs> night there, I met this very cute guy and I married him three weeks later and moved to Canada. So that's why I said, blame it on sex. Hans was a film buyer. He was buying it when video came out, VHSs. Anyway, um, so I, I ended up painting houses. And when I'd left London, there was a big trend of paint finishes. And my best friend and I were going to go and do a course. And we ended up following this guy, um, who I'm still married to today. And, uh, <laughs> she, uh, but she did the course. So we'd bought a, our first home. And um, I started painting the, the moldings to look like tortoiseshell, the baseboards like marble. I mean, my house looked like, God knows. But it was an old Victorian house. Anyway, bit by bit, I started to make friends. And then people would say, oh, can you come and do my fireplace? Or could you come and do my ceiling like clouds? And, you know, so I did this for about four years. And I started a studio. And then Bloomingdale's in New York rang and said, can we send our window dressers to come and learn how to do this? I'm like, Anyway, it just grew and grew. Wow. And then a lot of people, VHS was, it was the time of Jane Fonda and how to and DIY was all exploding. So I got a huge client and I'd done this enormous job. And so I had quite a bit of cash and I thought I'll make a video. Some of your listeners might go, oh my God, I remember that. It was called Decorative Paint Finishes Made Easy. And I sold a million copies in America and Canada. And it was sold through gift shows and gift stores and things like this. So it was like, what? But it was the trend. You know, every young mum wanted to send their kids off to hockey in the morning and then get up a ladder and sponge their walls and marbleize it and stuff like this. And then I started to get invited on radio shows. And television. And television. There was no podcast in those days. And TV shows all around North America. Morning shows. A lot of the morning shows. Anyway, there was a big one in Canada, the biggest kind of national show. And the producer there, who's now runs everything, had said to me, have you ever thought of turning this into a TV show? Because every time you come on, I mean, I remember going on with Tom Hanks and they cut his segment short. And he was like, this, he said, why? And he said, because Debbie's here. And he was like, what? He said, well, she's showing people how to strip off wallpaper. And I, I really think it's more important. And he was like, oh my God, Rita would love that. You know, his wife. And, <laughs> and, and it just exploded and exploded because it was trendy. And so I created a show called The Painted House. And it was the beginning of cable. And cable was very special because it was specialty television. And it enabled people who wanted to, if you were into golf, you watched the golf channel. If you were into fishing, you watched the fishing channel. And if you were into decorating, eventually there was HGTV. So we did that show for 14 seasons, um, seven years. And um, wow. it became a phenomenal hit around the world, like 90 countries. And then I got kind of a bit tired because it was just me in people's houses. And what I realized was people are funny. 
decorating is hideously boring. I mean, it really is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> try going on a radio show talking about paint colors. I mean, it's boring. You need the visual, yeah. You need a visual, but it's, it's not of in- any interest except for the person who's asking the question. So if somebody says on a radio show, well, on, in my hallway, on the left, no, on the right. Was it the left, George? Was it the left or the right? We want to put up pictures. And it's like, you have to learn the technique of speeding the questions up type of thing. So anyway, I, I thought that people were funny. So we created the first reality show around design. And that was a show called Facelift. And that's where we surprised families. So like you would be sitting here and while you're here, I'm gutting your house. This poor family who've only gone into it to get a free makeover. You know, you've got a cameraman's just eating their Sunday lunch, which was hidden in the fridge, or the kids have been chained up after school in the basement so they don't make a noise because of the cameras. And, you know, dad's sobbing at the bottom of the garden. And I thought, God, these people are, <laughs> are great. You know, they're funny. <laughs> and, and, and then there's the old lady next door who says, oh, no, she's not going to like that, you know. And, and so it was about, it's about us. It's about people. And, yeah. and, and their reaction to something that's quite dramatic, you know. And of course, when you're renovating, you know, you do see the chaos on. I mean, we've all got a bit immune to these shows now because they, were, they just exploded and there were so many of them. But, you know, when somebody's ripping out your house and the owner's not even there, the men were the best because the men often stayed behind and the wife went away. She might have gone somewhere to see her mother or something. Well, men are terrified of their wives, most of them. And, 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 and you'll be saying, oh, no, she's going to love lime green all over the kitchen walls. You know, she's going to love it. And, and so yeah. it was very funny. Um, and, and then that show we did for six years. And then um, I decided to do a, a show called From the Ground Up, where we bought a house in a place called Oakville, And it was a 19 kind of 60s ranch house and we blew it up. So we filled it with dynamite and then exploded it. And it was the most amazing opening with me walking in front of this going, I bought a house and I blew it up. And then we (laughs) rebuilt a house with young tradespeople because I was very, I'm very passionate about the trades and, and believe that, you know, there's a great career for people building and things like that and craftsmen and things. And so we took young people to try and teach them that they didn't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything that the mum and dad wanted. This was a good career. So that was a really big hit. And then we, we did another show called All for One, which was going across the country, rebuilding communities and stuff. And then I did Dolce Debbie. So five series, you know, over Jeez. 20 years. And Dolce Debbie was the journey in Italy. From what I know about you now... It's just you. You're still the powerhouse here. I mean, you get help here and there from hands, but this is your empire and you've built it from the ground up, quite literally. I am a bit of a control freak, I have to say. So yeah, I have help. (laughs) I didn't do all those houses on my own, but I have had old ladies come up to me in the airport. I remember one woman and she says, I think you're marvelous. And I said, thank you. And she says, well, how do you do those rooms in 30 minutes? And I'm like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> the magic of, of television, the power of television. Um, so no, I, I, of course I have people, you know, who do all the, the other stuff. I think what I'm getting at is decision-making. You've been running the ship this whole time. Yeah. I want to know about how you found that confidence as a young woman. You left the house so young. How did you find that confidence to make all those decisions and start all of those things? Well, I think doing it so young um, and not having a choice, there was no way I was going back to the village where my mum lived. Um, (laughs) And London is a a big, big city and and you're young. And, you know, your generation are very shocked when they hear this. But I remember saying to my mum, 
because I'd left school. Well, I'd been kicked out. And I said, Mum, I want to I move to London. She went, all right, love. And then I said, well, I'm going to go get the bus. She was like, okay, do you want a cheese sandwich? Like, that was it. You know, not like <laughs> take care of yourself or, you know. Pack she a wasn't suitcase. worried. She let you do it. She, you know what? She was too busy with the rest of the family. And, but, you know, when you talk to people my age, they were like, yeah, my mom was the same. And when I went to Tokyo, you know, there were no cell phones. So we used to line up to use a call box and I would finally get my turn and ring home. And my mom would be like, oh, that's nice, dear. Like I was in the next town. I was in Japan. You know, and she said, that's nice, love. All the best. Bye. And I'd been waiting an hour to use the phone. So it was a very different world. And so I think if you can survive that, if you can survive the modeling world, you know, where you have to kind of stand in front of advertising executives when they've had a boozy lunch in a bikini, um, you can bloody well survive. Sorry, can I swear? You can survive yes. anything. You can survive anything. Yes. And, and so you, be, you get this kind of thick skin of rejection. Um, and of course, the modeling world, it's 90% rejection. And in television, I was very lucky because I was the first. Nobody rejected anything. It was the other way around. Can you do more? Can you do more? Can you do more? And then there was a turn and we produced other shows. So our company, you know, it wasn't just my shows. We produced lots of shows for the Food Network, um, HGTV, you know, Discovery Channel, CBC, all kinds of shows. And then it became a harder mosh pit of the ruthlessness of the television industry. And, and for me, I got to the stage where I was no longer having fun. And I really do believe that if you do stuff, it's not fun all the time, but you, you, you're enjoying it. You know, you enjoy what you're doing. But, you know, there are days where it's like you're having to deal with somebody like me who can't find the honor. <laughs> Got to get on WhatsApp with Debbie and show her yeah. how to do the technology. Yep. <laughs> Why does it not say on? Put the on button on. Mine doesn't say on, you know. Really? We figured each other out now. We figured it out. So there are frustrating days. You know, there are hard days. They're all hard days. But if you love what you're doing, and you're giving people pleasure out of what you're doing, I, I think you'll always see success. And it's not always about money. And I think when you do these next chapters, which I'm doing now, you know, you're not paying the mortgage, you're not paying the school fees, you're not paying, you don't have as many hurdles as you do when, right. you say, 30. And of course, you know, if you've got four kids, you're not going to say, okay, I'm giving up my job at the bank to go and open a bakery because Debbie Travis says it's so much fun and I've always you know, wanted right. to do it. It's maybe not the right time, but you stick it up on your vision board and you plan for it. I think that's the most fun, the planning. Okay, so talk to me about this turning point. I mean, I feel like I just had a turning point where, you know, your life kind of gets shaken up, you make some decisions, you take some risks. So when did the direction change for you that you weren't having fun? Like, what were the things that you had to start listening to? When you have a successful television show, a lot of stuff comes with it. And I did a very, not me, it was partly to do with hands, my husband. We owned all of it. So we didn't work for a network. We worked for us. And we sold our stuff to the network. And with the success comes the product line, you know, and we had huge product lines and still do. We've got one at Giant Tiger now and the books. And then I had a syndicated column for 20 years that was syndicated all across North America and all this stuff that, that revolves around it and the public speaking, which, which I really enjoyed. So there is no stopping. You're standing in the middle. It's like the middle of a bicycle wheel and all these things are going on. Plus you're raising a family. And, and that was fine and I loved it. But what changed 
was um, the meetings changed. You'd sit in a meeting now with 40 people. You know, some of them looked like they were still in diapers, you know, and I'm like, oh. I know everybody wants to put their imprint on the world, but it gets very frustrating when, you know, a 12-year-old's telling you how to do stuff. It got like a feeling of deja vu. And it's nothing against the next people coming in. There was nothing new. And I felt it, we were, but I did that five years ago. And I wasn't excited. And my big fear was if I'm not enthusiastic and excited and curious and challenged, how are my viewers and listeners going to feel the same way? You know, it's great we're doing this podcast and we will do it until, you know, I'm bored of Tommy, he's bored of me, we're bored of (laughs) the world. Because there's always in our lives something to talk about and to share, which is lovely. And I think people will follow along kind of with that. How has your experience been as a woman through all of these things? I mean, I can kind of guess with the modeling, you know, how that would go. But um, when you were pitching to television early days, how did you find your experience pitching to men versus women? Well, first of all, television is a very female orientated business, I have to say. Women make very good producers because they're multitaskers. So probably the head honchos at the top, maybe more male. So I dealt with a lot of women. And to be quite honest, I didn't really see any difference. In the modeling world, oh my God, yeah, you could write a book on that. But it was a matter of, you know, when I moved to London, we were very hungry and I lived with a few girls and we all did different type of modeling. I was not a catwalk model. If you ever see me walk, you'll see why. Um, You know, I did the bubbly magazines and the catalogs and all that kind of stuff. And then I lived with a girl who was a, you know, did topless. And then another girl who was very long and lean and she did the catwalks, the runways. And so we all did different stuff. Didn't have much money at the time. So we would pick up guys in in wine bars and pubs and stuff to take us out for dinner because we needed the food. And we'd steal the bread roll for breakfast and things like this. And we'd choose restaurants where we knew we could kind of get through the toilet window. (laughs) So we knew when dessert was coming, this was the time to make a run for it. Or else we would have had to do something to pay for the dinner. And of course, 90% of the time we got out of there. So and we were we were really young and you know, definitely under 20. And so you were brought up kind of on the street in a way. We were survivors. When you got into situations, which young models always do, because often you're traveling and there's always some creep. If you've got a sense of humor and you've got friends, so you you tell your friend, okay, how do we get out of this one? You need to build, young people have to build this protective layer, this street smart, which sadly I think a lot of them aren't because, you know, my generation became helicopter parents. So we haven't done them much of a favor. But that was it, we were tough. And so once I got into business and I always kind of had an attitude of, look, if you don't want it, I'll go home. You know, I don't care. I'll go, I'll go back to London, you know. And, and I really wasn't that hungry. And I think sometimes the less hungry you are to achieve, the more stuff comes at you. You know, I wasn't desperate. There was always another back door. There was, I, I'll clean houses, you know. I, I would always be a survivor. So I never really worried about that. A funny story because, you know, when you have a house in Italy, many people want to come and stay. So I had a woman who actually <laughs> cancelled my television show who wrote to me last week and said, I don't know if you remember Jilly, but, you know, she was six months old when we worked together. But she's traveling through Italy and she wondered if she could pop in, like pop in, what, for a month to stay? <laughs> like, 
And she canceled my show. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but, so, you know, you, you, know you, you have to have this. It's not always easy, but water's off a duck's back. And, and life throws crap at you. And, and that's the wonderful thing about getting older is you've got this ammunition that you've saved up built around you and you look back when you're 20 and you think oh god you know how how tough it was all that stuff doesn't even bother you a bit today don't you think success and failure are complementary i totally subscribe to that belief yeah well failure is the best thing of all because we all fail you just don't have to ramble on about it but it's those things those are the lessons you don't learn lessons from success you know, you buy a nice new pair of shoes, but the failure is like, God, what an idiot I was. You know, I'll never do that again. Learn from those mistakes. Don't learn, then, you're, then you are an idiot. But if you learn from those mistakes, um, you grow. Looking back at your career, what's one of those big lessons, one of those big moments where you learned? Oh, God. <laughs> I know there can be lots along the way, but what's one that really stands out? I think believe in yourself and believe in the people who believe in you. So I did have an amazing experience once, which minute by, you know, when you have a very, either a very traumatic thing happens or something that, that made a change, that tilted something in your life. And one of them was, I was standing in a shop. What was it called? It wasn't anthropology, but it was a store like that in Montreal with two screaming young teenagers. We were going on holiday the next day and they were beating the shit out of each other in the changing room about, you know, I want those jeans, stop copying me, the usual stuff, right? And my phone went and a woman said, this is the Oprah Winfrey show. Is this Debbie Travis? And I said, yes. And I said, Oprah. And the woman behind <laughs> the till said, oh my God. So she turned all the, you know, it was that pulsating music. She said, I'll turn it off. So I had this conversation with all these other mothers listening. And she <laughs> said, we love your show. We watch it in Chicago. We'd like you to come on the Oprah Winfrey show. I said, oh my God, that's amazing. Yes, you know, absolutely. You know, I'll speak to my producer. I'll speak to the publisher, you know, all this kind of. So she said, um, okay, great. We'd like you here on Monday. Well, it was Friday. I said, oh, but I'm going on holiday tomorrow. She said, oh, dear. I said, well, look, give me five minutes and let me make some calls. So I called the publisher in New York, Random House, and she said, cancel your holiday. You go. It's Oprah. So then I call HGTV and they say, cancel your holiday. Get rid of your children. Tell them you don't have children. Go. I call my miserable husband who's already in Italy or wherever we were going because we were filming there as well. And I said, you won't believe it. The Oprah Winfrey show wants me on the show and it's on Monday. So I guess I'm not coming on holiday. And he said, you have to come. You know, you have two children, it's school holidays, we're filming. I can't do it without you. And if Oprah wants you, she'll want you next month. I think that the woman behind the till, who I know had blue hair and a bolt through her nose, was now sobbing. Oh, no, I know. I said, I know, I can't go. And so I, I called them back and they said, thank you very much. We'll get somebody else. Oh, those words probably killed you. Oh, can you imagine? Anyway, he was absolutely right. And a month later, they called again. And I went on quite a few times. You know, so you have to have your priorities. It was the worst holiday I've ever had. <laughs> Nearly got divorced. But, <laughs> but I guess I learned a lesson. Believe in the people who believe in you, you know. 
That's good advice from Hans. Maybe I'm gonna need to call him next week if I need some advice. <laughs> oh, he's very, he loves advising people. Yeah, he's, he's very good because he's very calm and he doesn't see the glitz and the glamour. He sees through it all, you know, and, yeah. and he was right. If, you know, if they want you now, they're gonna want you in a month, you know? It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What about like something that went really wrong that you learned from, like an actual failure? God, there's been so many. I mean, we, the worst thing that ever happened in the television side <laughs> was... <laughs> You're laughing now. That's a good sign. When we did Debbie Travis's facelift, which was not about facelifts, as I realized when I went on a, a talk show in New York and the guy kept asking me questions about where my stitches were and things like this. And halfway through, <laughs> I thought, he hasn't even read who I am. He's, he's he hasn't even read the boiler. But it was the first show and it was a family we knew. The mother was sent away and she did not know, but we were going to gut this living room. So we all went and we had this van that we all jumped out of and it was a sequence and stuff. And we ran in and the father had said, I won't be in because I've got to take the kids to school, but the front door will be open. So the demolition of these shows is very, it's great television and it's very, very fast. So there are cameras everywhere. You've got sledgehammers, you're ripping all this stuff out. Anyway, within yeah. 40 minutes, we destroyed the ground floor of this house. And I had an amazing director uh, a female director for Facelift, who I loved. And I had a, a thing in my ear and she says, Debbie, um, walking up the path is uh, George and um, you need to go to the front door and meet him. So I opened the door because I had never met these owners before. They were friends of friends and, um, and I was never in those production meetings so that it was a surprise when, when I met them for the first time on camera. And I said, well, George, you know, you have the ugliest living room in the world and that fireplace, oh my God, with those carved ducks, that was terrible and we've ripped it all out and whatever. And he said, my name's Bill, George lives next door. And we had destroyed the, oh yeah, your mouth's open. We had <laughs> gutted within 40 minutes the wrong house. <laughs> and I had to make the phone call 
because <laughs> I was also the producer of the show, one of the, you know, the main one. Oh I had to God. call the network because we, we, we had to put the house back as well as do the show on, on the next house. Oh my God, that was a disaster. And that, so that was like, make sure you dot all the dots before you go in. <laughs> and then he said, and that fireplace with the carved ducks, I built that for my wife and I loved it. You better put it back. Um, so that was a disaster. And that was years ago. I'm right at the beginning. But there was always stuff. And, you know, you're always frightened nobody's going to yeah. get hurt. Because I think they're probably a bit more careful today than they were. Yeah. we were. I mean, you got chainsaws going and then a camera and wires and water. You probably and- just had little glasses on and you were like, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, there's somebody would fall off a ladder and you'd say, get a camera, quick. Has he broken his arm? Quick, follow him to the hospital. You know, it was all about the, the footage, you know. And, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, always crazy stuff. Always crazy stuff. Taking this conversation over to um, you becoming a best-selling author. Will you hold up that book again for me? Oh, Design Your Next Chapter. Yeah, so this is the paperback version. Very Sex in the City looking, by the way, the cover, don't you think? Yeah, well, the, the hardback doesn't have me on. And this okay. was a fabulous photographer. Do you in- ever get Kim Cattrall? I feel like you and Kim Cattrall could be like sisters. Oh, God, yes. Because somebody said somebody that. should make a television show about my life and Kim Cattrall could play it. That would be cool, <laughs> huh? Yeah, let's make it happen. Um, okay, so tell me about the, where the spark for writing that book came from. Okay, so at the moment I'm working on book 12. So I did eight decorating books and they were out of New York and they were, you know, picture books and writing. And basically what would happen is a photographer would come up from New York and then shoot the ends of all the shows. And so we had all this amazing photography and stuff. So we did eight books. And then the National Post, I think, did a story about working women and the nightmare of women going back to work when they've had like their first baby or women going back to work after retirement or women going back to work when traumas happened and stuff like this. And um, several well-known people wrote this story and they were all quite funny. And my editor rang me up and said, I think you should do a book about raising children and working and all the dilemmas that come out of that. So I wrote a book called Not Guilty and I loved it. I loved writing that book. And it was about the chaos of being a young mom. I was in my thirties, well, no forties, I think. And, and, but raising a family, you know, amongst the work and, and the craziness that goes on at schools, you know, the different type of mummies, you know, the, volu- the volunteer mothers, the yummy mummies, you know, the mummies who, you know, are really great with the kids, the mummies who, who never turn up, the mummies who are always late, you know. So yeah, it was yeah. a very funny book. My, my children threatened to sue me, but that did not happen. But anyway, it was very good. <laughs> and then uh, a few years later, I was really doing a lot of public speaking to young women who are going into business, young women, again, because of the chaos of family life and everything. And I became intrigued because I was kind of walking away from the television world and I'd fallen in love with this idea of renovating a house in Italy. And I was on a bridge and that bridge is what everybody goes through when you have a next chapter. You know, most of us, it's, it's back and forth, back and forth. Shall I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Your mind is in turmoil. What if, what if, what if? And um, I started to research. And when you're interested in something or something's new in your mind, it pops up. It's like if you buy a, a red car, a red Volvo, let's say, you'll see that red Volvo everywhere. Like, oh, look, there's another one. You know. So yeah. I suddenly got attracted to other people's next chapters. 
And I would read about them in the paper. I'd hear them on the radio all over the world. And I started to contact these people. And they ranged from a young girl who'd been eight years in dentistry school and decided the minute she looked into the first mouth on the first day of the job, no, I don't want to do this, and went to the Antarctic <laughs> to work with the penguins, you know. And then there was a woman who started a makeup line at 72 and a woman who did, you know, they, they were all over the map and they were so fascinating. So I wrote Design Your Next Chapter around what I was going through, giving up a salary and renovating basically an open drain, throwing money down it, this, this 12th century property in Italy, what I was going through with that and the thought process and everything and what people could do when, if they were designing their next chapter. So it's a really is a how-to book and there's bits in it where you can write in it and stuff. Anyway, it, it, what was so wonderful was I went across the country, across Canada and America, talking to people with the book and people would turn up, you know, with like a book like this, but with post-it notes stuffed in it, you know, and like yeah, on page yeah. 82, you said this and blah, blah, blah. and you know, <laughs> I, I'm only here and I, you know, I can't stop crying and this is my story. And, you know, so one of the great things about going on a stage and talking to people is you realize how alike we all are. You know, mm. it doesn't matter what age you are, we all have an idea and a dream. What changes is the, the guts, if you will, the bravery to, to actually to do it. And it's incredibly hard. You obviously picked up and, and left what you knew for something where you would have to figure out in a new language, new community, new oh everything. Oh, my God. Well, the, and the, what came out of that was when we, we opened in 2015, and it's a retreat center, and we have women from all over the world come and, it, you know, it's always packed. It's, it's fabulous. And what I realized then, Design Your Next Chapter came out. And then I realized you can have all these ideas, but there's one thing that you need amongst everything. And that is you need to be healthy. Because if you're not healthy, if you're not feeling well, nobody's going to get off the couch and go, yeah, yeah, it's my time to open that coffee shop. You don't have the energy. So energy... And, and health are obviously hand in hand. And that's when I wrote Joy. So Joy came out last year and it's called Joy Life Lessons from a Tuscan Villa. And that's really what these local people do to have some of the best longevity in the world and live a life of community and purpose, good food. Um, they still drink, you know, they still move. It's almost like balance in a way that we don't know in North America exactly. sometimes. But, but yeah. it's not that Tuscany is much different. It's in a time warp. So Tuscany is very much like our grandparents lived. You know, it, it's that talking to a friend over the fence. So, you know, you can't change the way things are. And, you know, now with artificial intelligence coming in and stuff like that, I mean, we're all like, oh, my God, what's the next chapter? So you've got all this wonderful stuff and it is a great time to live. It's a great time to do your own thing because all the information's there. But at the same time, some of the, like I said earlier, the getting the thick skin, the street smarts, the real friendships, all those things that are going to help you be who you are have been diluted and sometimes in some cases completely gone. So I think we have to work on a shift where we have the best of both. And enabling young people to, you know, for instance, if you go to a yoga class every day at six, 
A lot of women think that's their social life. Well, maybe there's a woman in there that you chat to every time and you like each other and you smile. The next step is to say, hey, do you fancy going for a juice afterwards? Some people are terrified. Oh, I couldn't do that. Well, you know what? Yeah, that's as true. important as everything else. You need to step out and you will be blown away how most people will go, yeah, sure. Yeah, there'll be the, you know, the, I'm sure there's the odd person who slams the door in your face. But there's, there's billions of people out there. You keep trying. You know, we saw in COVID how we missed this. Real people, real touch, real eye-to-eye contact. Building a, a community, not how maybe your, your grandparents did over the back fence with the neighbors, but find new ways of doing it. Joining groups, joining a walking group. Nothing better than walking. Even if you're not a very good walker, walk and talk, walk and talk. It's amazing because those people will stay with you. What's your proudest moment of your career? If you had to pick like a pinnacle moment, something you are so proud of. Um, I think the retreats because, uh, you know, I knew they would come, but I didn't know the impact that, and I know if there's anybody who's been, who's listening to this now, they will cry because Women are extraordinary. And the stories that I've heard that women, the shit that women have put up with through marriage, through partners, through kids, through loss, it's never work. Work's so unimportant. It's through relationships and how we have to bounce back and how they do bounce back and how strong women can be. But when they come to us, they come because they can come alone and they make new friends and we do nothing. We have speakers and workshops and all this stuff, but we actually don't really do anything. We supply a lot of alcohol and a lot of good food and, and a lot of fun, but they do it themselves because they walk away with 18 new friends. And we stand there when they leave every time. And we've been doing this for 10 years now and watch these women leave like 14 year old girls at camp. And it's magic. It's magic because it's what women are made for. Community. Helping each other, sharing stories. You know, I've got a picture on my desk of a 32-year-old girl walking down a path from the back with a 65-year-old woman, arm in arm, and they did not know each other three days before. And they were in such an intense, because we can all teach each other stuff. And so I'm very proud of going into something that I knew nothing about, I have never been in the hospitality business, ever. (laughs) You just participate in it. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's a tough one. Um, But this is is something remarkable. And and we've seen women's, like, sitting under the Tuscan sun, their lives change. A light bulb goes on and, and, and something says, right, my time now. Yeah, it's all very inspiring because there are so many women, I'm telling you, who are still scared of just having the coffee after yoga, the juice after yoga, right? And it's like if you make the first decision to step out of your comfort zone, who knows down the road what can come next? You know, I'm not a religious person. I'm not really that spiritual, but I think there's a pattern and there's a weave. And, you know, when you look back on your life, you think, God, if I wasn't in on, if I hadn't been at that party, you know, in the south of France, you know, which I shouldn't have... (laughs) (laughs) It shouldn't have really been there. And of course, handled it very unprofessionally. You know, I wouldn't have met Hans. I wouldn't have had the courage because he's a a good partner. He's somebody who makes you, 
it's all about me. It's not about him. And in our relationship, that way, that works pretty really well. Um, <laughs> we all need some. We all. A lot of the women say we all need a hands. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it's first steps when a ch- when a baby suddenly realizes he makes that first step and he can walk. The power. Anybody watching that toddler going from one chair to the next. That look on their face, that's like, yo, my life is beginning. That freedom. When you get your first car, it's like the freedom. It's like, oh, you're never going back. It wasn't red, but I had a Volvo. Oh, you had a Volvo. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, it's all those steps in your life. And we all have the same worries. Even the people who look really confident. One of my kids was always saying, you know, when they're very small, you get these birthday invitations. 100 a week or something. And I had one child who always said, I said, oh, look, Johnny's having a party. Oh, everybody hates me. I'm not going. I've got no friends. I'm like, well, who did all these invitations come from then? Oh, but they don't like me. And then, of course, you pick them up at the party and you're the worst mother because they don't want to leave. And and, <laughs> and, and so very often it's in our heads. And, and yeah. there are people literally living next door in your apartment building who are in the same boat and it just takes a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, a couple of cigarettes, whatever you, whatever your vice is, to talk. But it does take guts. But you're the loser if you don't have, A, the enthusiasm, the curiosity and the bravery to step out of your shell. Yeah, and look how many times you've done it and it just keeps paying off time and time again. Some pays off, some doesn't, you know, and, and, and at my age, you know, a lot of women say, oh, but I'm too old to do this. I'm too, why are you too old? We're going to live till we're a hundred probably. If Debbie Travis can do a podcast, anyone can do a podcast. <laughs> if I can press those buttons, <laughs> uh, I couldn't even get on Chrome before. <laughs> and the thing is, I know I'll never be good at it. Because I've asked you the same questions every week. Um, and I know I have, a bl- I have a block in my head. And I'll never be good at it. But I'm good at other stuff. And I can knock on somebody's door and say, you know what? Like the talking, come on. Yeah, and I do like, I like talking. But I think you have to decide what is it you want out of life. Whether you're 20, 30, 50, 60, 70, what is it you want? And if it's company, which is the most important thing. And, you know, with this thing about phoning, like my kids say, Mom, why are you calling me? And I said, text me. I said, but I've got so much to say. I don't want to write it all down. I said, Mom, nobody, <laughs> nobody phones. I said, well, I'm your mother. I'm phoning. <laughs> you know, but then you have a great chat. Yeah, it's true. It's true for sure. My mom is the same. So you have to be a bit of a bully. You have to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you. Well, there's no inheritance. <laughs> you get nothing. Yeah. Okay, I have one final question on your public life, and then I want to make sure we talk about your new podcast for a minute. What about separating public life from family life and, you know, when you were starting to have kids and all of that? My children actually don't do social media. Hans hates it, so I have to cut him out. So very often if it's a family picture, I put black circles over everybody's face. I think people don't think I even have a family. So they're not very keen <laughs> on it. Um, How old are the kids, by the way? Oh, don't ask old but they have they you know they have their own lives and and stuff but when they were young when really it exploded it really and I remember being in Ikea and some woman rushing up to me and one of my children was young and he was quite afraid but by the time I got home I was kind of saying oh my god 
I was mobbed by all these people and everything. And this little voice said, no, mum, there were two people. I was like, oh, shut up. You're ruining my story. There were thousands. <laughs> um, they're kind of used to it, you know. Yeah. I don't like it when you're on holiday. Um, of course, yeah. You, we once went to an all-inclusive in Dominican Republic and half the hotel was... Canadians and North Americans and the other half kind of on the beach it was split was German so I had to go and sit among the Germans <laughs> in my bikini. Um, but you know it doesn't bother me but th then of course I moved to Italy and I'd only been there a week and we were renovating and I kept seeing these old ladies in all black and they kept going SOS Debbie every time I walked past and giggle. Then oh, little, you tell this story on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, and then these little children were running past and they changed the name of Facelift to SOS Debbie and it was on four times a day. So I'm like, <laughs> bloody hell, I'm in the middle of nowhere in these medieval towns and everybody's watching the show, uh, dubbed into Italian. Um, but uh, you know what? I, I, I'm always nice to people because they buy your product, they buy your books, they watch your shows. Um, so it doesn't really bother me that much. A girlfriend of mine just sent me a text this week just saying like, oh, I saw you're, you know, working, producing a new show. And uh, she's like, it's so funny. My laundry hamper, I was doing laundry the other day and I noticed it said Debbie Travis on it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're both from maybe a little bit of a different generation. Like, I don't remember watching you on TV, but I, I'm also someone who I have never been very keen on like the decorating and all the, of that stuff. So it's like my mom, when I tell my mom, like, oh, I'm working with Debbie Travis, my mom and dad are like, oh, that's amazing, right? So just the different generations there too. One thing that I really do love is when people kind of your age come up and say, that was the time I bonded with my mom because I would come home from school and before yes. I had to do my homework, we would watch the show. And, and that I really love. And, you know, they, they were in repeats forever and they're still playing somewhere in the world. Only having worked with you for a month and a half or so, Hearing your story, you know, helping write your, your bio for the podcast page and all that stuff. That's why I was like, I have to invite her on my podcast immediately. Like, you know, you've been through all the things and it's very inspiring, especially to the millennials like me. So oh, thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think with the millennials, I mean, they, they, everything's there at your fingertips. You just have to make sure you give yourself time to go out there and, and just have fun and, and, really be out physically with people. I think that is the, the, the key. There's nothing yeah. like sitting outside a pub on a sunny day having a drink. Nothing like it. I think the minute you do that, even if you go on your own, you know, meet people, you, you want to get off the other stuff. The other stuff, I mean, I love Instagram, you know, but, but I have to say to myself, all right, enough, you know, you've posted for twice today. today. Let's go and do something else, you know. Can I just say something I did hear the other day on Instagram? Yes. Things like, it was Instagram and porn, which I can't really talk about, but, but, but things <laughs> like that are instant dopamine hits. And we've got very used to that. You know, a dopamine hit is like having a cookie or, oh, I got 20 likes. It's instant, it's fast, but then it's gone, right? Cool. When you've been to a good party... What do you do? You come home at night, you lie in bed, either you're alone or you're with somebody and you rattle on about, oh my God, did you see what she wore? Wasn't that fun? Or did you hear that? Oh my God, they broke the vase. You know, the good feeling has extended and that's what we need. It's not a flash in the pan because when you have a flash in the pan, you need more. You buy a new purse. Oh, it feels great for 20 seconds, but then you need the next dopamine hits. You need the pair of shoes, you need this, you need that. So we need those long things where, you, where you're building memories. 
The dopamine long game. <laughs> exactly. Title of the next book. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And also thank you so much for uh, working with me. It's been, it's been a lovely experience so far. And you guys are killing it. Is Tommy feeling good about it too? We're both feeling good. I mean, when you said we were number six, I was like, wow, that's great. And then two seconds later, oh my God, you're number two. Okay, um, here for fun. I'm logging into our back end. Let's see how many downloads you guys have. Hold on. This is going to be fun. Okay. See, this bit I don't know how to do, so I have no clue. Oh, don't worry. That's what your producer's for. Yeah. <laughs> so, trust me, I'm a decorator. Total downloads. Is that how many people have listened to it? Yeah, so how many people have listened for um, a minute? Okay. okay. At, least, at least a minute. 4,643. Is that good? You've been up for less than two weeks. Mm. So you have a new episode coming out the same day that this episode will release. So hop on over to the Trust Me, I'm a Decorator podcast. And um, way more from Debbie and Tommy. Mm. Well, we just, we had the guests we have on are going to be people that, um, you know, some of them are well known, some of them are not, but they're people that we admire and, and kind of know. They're not just an agency booking them. And, and so it's very personal. So the last part of my podcast that I always do is it's kind of like a pass the torch on. Um, if you could, you know, suggest, recommend couple women that I should have on the podcast that you love, admire, look up to, who should I talk to? Oh my God. Well, I would have Martha Stewart on, who's just been shown in an 80 something in a bikini. I mean, oh my God, she's amazing. <laughs> Do we have an in with Martha? We should get her for your podcast. Too. Yeah, I should. Yeah, that would be great. Well, I think Marilyn is amazing too. And she, I've she's never spoken to Marilyn. Really? Oh, she would be great. Um, she's coming to the end of one chapter and she's going to be starting something else. And, you know, you're putting on a brave face, but I'm sure there are times when you think, oh, you know, what am I yeah. doing? But, you know, she's entertained us all for so many years. Um, oh, God, there are so many women that, you know, I adore. I, I, I like comedians. I like funny women. Yeah, give me a comedian. Ellen. <laughs> uh, let's think. Um, I like Chelsea Handler. Oh, she's I, so funny. I love Chelsea Handler. She's so funny. I mean, Kim Cattrall is turning out, you mentioned her earlier, to be, um, and I have met her at an award show because my son fancied her. He was only 12 <laughs> and I really embarrassed him. But we both got an award, <laughs> women in film and television at the same time. And she was there. So I got a picture nice. with him. With bright red face. Um, but, Aww. you know, she's she's a woman who's now, at this minute, become very interesting because she really stood her ground on this uh, Sex and the City thing. And now we've heard that she's going to be in it in a cameo. But she didn't back down for a long time. You know, nobody yeah. persuaded her. So she's done it on her own, on her own rules, which I think is good. I think any woman who, who stood up for herself are the ones that are fascinating because that's what we all need to hear. And really, it's any woman who's kind of made it. There's so many loops that they've had to kind of jump You and through. the Oprah story even, right? It's very similar to what you're talking well, about. Well, yeah, if you could get Oprah on, that'd be really good. But yeah. but listen, you, you're looking at these women, ask. ask. That's the other thing. You Always know, ask. you just ask. Can you imagine the next episode after Debbie Travis, Oprah Winfrey, I would die. I know. I would hang up this microphone and be like, career done. Bye. Yeah. But she is the most down to earth. And, and um, we've done a podcast with a, an amazing woman 
called Sherry Salata, who worked with Oprah for yes. 25 years. And she started off as a runner at the show and ended up Oprah's right-hand person and is a part owner of OWN. Um, I mean, a career that is just phenomenal. And I said on the podcast, I'd met her um, all those years ago at the show. She would not remember me because she wasn't my producer. She was dealing with, you know, Tom Cruise jumping on the sofa and all those big Hollywood stories. <laughs> Um, yeah. But she called me up uh, two years ago and said, I heard about your retreats in Tuscany and I inspire people through my books. And she's a public speaker, very, very powerful and very good. And she said, I'd like to bring them to stay with you. And I was like, is this a fake phone call? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and she came and she came and she was wonderful. And we became friends. And of course, doesn't she speak well? She's so articulate. She thinks before she answers, but she's, she, anyway, she's, she's incredible. And things that really resonate, things where you think, God, I, I need to play that back and listen to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and she's talking through, like, mo like everybody really, through their own journeys. So her journey of having the number one job in television, really, in the world, to what she's doing now, that journey is helping other people. I'll call Oprah. I'll call Oprah and ask her to come on the show. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> come well, on, you, so you can do it. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your time and uh, your you. story here on the podcast. Okay, my love. Thank you. Please check out her new podcast with Tommy Smythe. Once again, it's called Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. You can find out more at the trustmepod.com, but I'm also going to link you in the show notes for today's episode. And a heads up, my next guest is Stephanie Purificati who is one of few female agents that you will find in this country. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.